don't know about you, but I, I am just sometimes continually surprised at how things that I feel like should still be new just aren't new anymore. Are you, I don't know if you ever get, have a moment like that too. Like I literally, even this morning, opened up my car door uh, that I was in uh, for hours yesterday, and it smelled like the hot dog that I ate in there. And, and, I, and I thought, man, this just had a new car smell, like it seems like weeks ago, and now that is long gone, you know? And it wasn't that long ago, I was, uh, we were driving along 17, and you can kind of see our house before you pull into our subdivision, and I remember Sherry was with me, and I said, you know, I see like dark stuff on the top of the side of our house, like on our siding, and she had noticed it already, but I had not. I'm like, oh, man, we got to like clean that probably, shouldn't we, you know, and that's really tall. I don't have a ladder that tall, so eventually we'll have to get a crane or, I don't know, a, a, a really long ladder and go up there and clean that. Uh, we also discovered recently, I don't know if you all have this issue, I don't know what vaccination might be out there for this, but our carpet has measles. I mean, every time I vacuum it, I find new spots on the carpet. I don't know what the solution to that is, but... The stuff doesn't seem to stay as new as long as you want. And we have had a few conversations in our staff meeting uh, and even with our construction uh, company that we're working with about the carpet that is in the Family Life Center right now. Uh, the carpet specifically that is in the stairwells and the walking track. That blue carpet that is in the stairwell and the walking track. Is blue now, is it back now? Is, is light blue carpet back now? I see no hand. Okay, so it's out. It's not fashionable anymore. I'm okay if it weren't fashionable. It's just yucky. It's like 20 years. I thought, you know, a carpet 20 years is, that's, we've gotten our money's worth out of that carpet. But I remember, again, I had this flashback. I remember when we came here, uh, when my family came here in 1998, there was no carpet on those steps. There was no carpet on the walk-in track. And I remember us all being excited that we got the carpet. And now I can't wait. I'm going to personally go rip it up myself because I can't wait to get it off there. It's the worst carpet ever. It's horrible. Things just doesn't, they just seem to stay new for very long, it seems, you know. And I know we've been talking a lot about uh, this construction project and, you know, it's going to be new and it's going to be exciting. I agree with the Blake family. You see the renderings and it's exciting. But what we're going to learn today together is that what God is building is so much bigger and so much better and so much more awesome than an actual building. It's bigger than that. In fact, I want, I want you to know this today. God is not merely building a facility. He's building his church. And there's this word to describe the church you need to understand together this morning, and that is this. It is indestructible. He is building his church, and it is indestructible. Now, as I look around the room, I see some skepticism. Like, okay, that's not, preachers are supposed to say that, right? That hyperbole that, it, you know, they're going to say something really big just to get us to be like, whoa. Well, in case you think I'm just making this up, we're going to look at God's word together, and it shows very clearly 
that this is true. We're going to look at Matthew 16, 13 together. By the way, real quick survey. How many of you all use the church app on your phone or on your tablet? A lot of you do, yes. We had a lot of people in the last hour that said that too. Just as you're getting ready for us to go into the Word together, if you happen to use your uh, church app to do that, there are, there's now a new way to do notes we still have the old way on there. You can open up your app, touch message notes, and it'll bring up notes, and you can actually also uh, look at the scripture as we go. But now there's a new way. If you were to be on that homepage on your app, and just you can scroll down and see the little logo for Rise Up and Build, and it says today's sermon, you can touch that, and then you can actually see a little button where it says take notes. You can touch that. And it'll ask you to log in. You either do it through a Facebook account or create a login. But once you do that, you can actually keep your notes archived in the app, and they will stay attached to the actual sermon that's in the database there. So if you ever were to go back and rewatch the sermon on video, your notes for that would be right there. It's kind of a cool thing. However, it's just a blank page to take notes on, so it's not got the blanks in the scripture. We have that still in the old way in the message notes. Just wanted to let you know that in case you wanted to try one or the other, and we'd love to hear your feedback on which one you prefer to use. But what we're looking at in Matthew 16, 13 here is a real powerful moment that Jesus had with his disciples, more specifically that he had with Peter. And um, they're having this conversation, and what Peter says in response to Jesus and what Jesus says back to Peter in response to what he says reveals something that you and I need to know today, especially right here right now at Hickory Grove, all right? So let's look at it together. Let me read to you Matthew 16, starting at verse 13. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now, I want to just real quickly talk about that last verse that it said there, because I don't know about you, every time I read that, and you'll find that in several places in the New Testament, you hear us talk about this all the time if you attend church here. Hey, go tell people about Jesus. He's awesome. But he says right there, don't tell anybody about me. And it seems off, right? Well, we can spend a whole sermon just talking about that. He mentions that several times. He does not want the people there to connect his Messiahship, the fact that he would be the coming Messiah, to the fact that he's being made popular by people around him because of maybe the miracles he has done or the powerful teaching he's done or because these 12 guys say so. He wants people to connect his Messiahship to the fact that he stepped out of the grave, to the fact that he suffered on the cross for the sins of the world. Because he wasn't building a kingdom that was sociopolitical or military ran, as many were expecting the Messiah to be. That, oh, yes, the Messiah will come and Israel will be great again and kick Rome out of here. 
And we'll be just like the days of David. That's what some people expected, but that was not. We have the gift of hindsight. We have the gift of the entirety of the Bible that tells us that, no, no, no. God was establishing an eternal spiritual kingdom that even we can be a part of. So that was why he was saying, hey, you know, don't, don't let anybody know what's going on here. But I want us to look back at what happened between Peter and Jesus in this moment. You may see, if you look at your copy of the Bible, you might see a heading above this passage where it says something like maybe Peter's confession or the confession at Caesarea Philippi or Peter confesses Jesus is the Christ or something to that effect. It's a good heading because what really happened there was indeed a confession where Peter spoke out loud something he believed within his heart that Jesus really was the Messiah, that he really was the Son of God. Well, Jesus responded by saying in verse 17, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. You're blessed. It's, it's a blessing that you know this. It's a blessing that you confess this. And in case you're wondering what that bar Jonah is, that means son of Jonah. So Simon, Jonah's, Jonah's boy. <laughs> blessed are you, Simon, Jonah's boy. And why is he blessed? Because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, no one convinced you, no one spent years of your life pounding this into your heart and into your mind. The only way you know this, Peter, is because God the Father revealed it to you. And I want to pause for a moment and say this. If there's ever any spiritual step you've ever taken in your life personally, it was only because the very Spirit of God made it happen. That He pulled you in, that he wooed you in, that he moved in your heart, that he spoke something in you and said, this is what I'm calling you to do. This is your next step. This is what I'm asking of you. Whether it be the moment you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and save your soul, or whether it be another moment where you were just obeying him, whatever that is, God revealed that to you. Do you know that? We're just not sitting around hoping to figure out God and do our best and then say, hey, was it sort of in the zip code of what we're supposed to do, God? No, he actually speaks to you. He actually reveals things to you. He actually moves in your life. And that's what Jesus said was happening to Peter. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, here's where it gets... Interesting. What he says next, believe it or not, has been debated for centuries what it actually means. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter. Well, that's not unusual. That's what we call him too, right? He's called Simon, Simon Peter, and Peter throughout the New Testament. The Greek word there is Petros. It literally means rock. means rock. A really good nickname for Peter if you read what he was like in the Bible, he was kind of the rock. He was, sometimes he was the rock that he would throw. I mean, he was kind of the rock that was thrown. Uh, and sometimes he was that stability. He was always the spokesperson, the outspoken spokesperson for the 12. So he says, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. You are Petros. And then he says, and on this Petra, I will build my church. What has been debated for many years is what is the Petra, what is the rock that Jesus is building his church on? In fact, some people have used this passage to say that this was Jesus establishing the papal system. 
that indeed Peter would be the original pope, perhaps. Well, I can understand why people might want to say that looking at this passage, but when you read the rest of the Bible, read the rest of Scripture, you just don't see evidence that supports that. You don't see evidence that Peter held any kind of unique special position or authority than any of the other apostles in the Bible. In fact, you could make the argument that maybe James or even the apostle Paul had greater authority and influence than even Peter did. So in that moment, I just don't think you can say that's what's going on here. So then what was he saying? What is the Petra, the rock, that the church is being built on? Some say it might be Jesus himself. That maybe he was saying, you are Petros, you are Peter, you are rock, but on this rock, I will build my church. I don't know, that would be kind of cool if that's what would happen. Like, oh, okay. And it makes sense. Maybe he'd be the foundation upon which things are built. Some say that it's not Peter or even Jesus, that the rock, the Petra, that the church is being built upon is the actual confession that Peter made. That he might have said, and you are Petros, you are Peter, but on this rock, on this thing you just said, on that confession, I will build my church. Now, as much as I would like to say that the church isn't built upon Peter or any other human being, I've come to understand and believe that what Jesus said was, you are Petros, and on this Petra, I will build my church. Yes, Peter, on you. And he probably would have pointed to the others sitting around listening, on you, I will build my church. Now, the reason I believe that be, to be true is because God's word says it's true. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 19, says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Listen, this is talking to you right now. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, this is a word to you. You are not strangers or aliens. You are fellow citizens with all the saints, even the saints that have gone before us the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of who? The apostles and prophets. The Bible says they are the foundation. All of those who witnessed Jesus himself in the flesh, dying on the cross and stepping out of his grave, and the prophets who foretold of his coming in the Old Testament, they are the foundation, the Bible says, upon which the church is built. And he goes on to say, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Jesus is the cornerstone. Now, I'm not an engineer and I'm not a construction manager. I'm not an architect, but I've heard over the years about this idea of the cornerstone and how it really held it all together and everything was built from it. It was the beginning of how things were built, and it's what held it all together. I think that's a good word picture of Jesus. But then listen to this, guys. It says this at the last sentence of this passage, in him, you also, this is you, this is me, this is all of us, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Listen, this is what it's saying. You are the brick and mortar of the church. You are the construction material of the church. It's you. 
The foundation is the apostles and the prophets and all that they have witnessed and all that they have taught. The cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself who holds it all together. But you are the brick and the mortar and the drywall and the concrete and the plumbing and the copper and the electric. Some of you are the beautiful paint and the finishing and the dressing. That's not me. But some of you are. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter 2, 4, and 5. You are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. You are the brick. You are the mortar. You are the living stones that make up the church. Now, This is me geeking out in Bible right now. Like, oh, the Bible says this. We're all a building. We are the brick. We are the mortar. And he's the cornerstone. And yay, this is cool. Let's let's go back to what Jesus said. On this rock, I will build my church. And I need you to know this. The reason the church is indestructible is because Jesus is building it. Friends, everything we're doing here, man, as long as I'm your pastor, we will only do what Jesus directs us to do. And as long as we let him lead the way, as long as we let him be in charge, as long as we let him be the cornerstone, friends, you are part of something that cannot be destroyed. Cannot be destroyed. He goes on to say, Jesus says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now listen, there's a lot of things that might try to prevail against God's work at church or in your life. There's a lot of scary things that you might be afraid of. I would venture to say that if we list these three, death, hell, and the grave, that that would make eh, most of our top five lists of things that are scary, that are unknown, that are freaky, that we don't want to be a part of. I got good news for you. The Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross and stepped out of his grave, he conquered death, hell, and the grave. They are defeated foes. Wouldn't it be cool if we just kicked off college football? How would I, if I were on a team and, and, and God were to like speak to me in a vision and say, guess what? Your team will not be defeated this year. It'll be an undefeated season. I wonder how I would play. I'd be in the locker room like, oh, let's do this. I'm not even going to worry. I'm just going to tackle as hard as I can or run as hard as I can or do my job as hard as I can and just play because we can't be beaten. There's a certain amount of confidence, a holy confidence that should enter into your heart and mind when you realize that if you've placed your faith in Jesus and you are a part of this, you come and worship and you're doing what you're doing right now, you're a part of something that absolutely cannot be destroyed by the most formidable foe that exists, and that is hell. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, we can clap for that. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Now Listen. Let me read to you the last thing Jesus said. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, this is big, because if you trust in Jesus, you got something that you got to do something with. God wants you to unlock the kingdom of heaven in northern Kentucky. You can take the words northern Kentucky and replace it with the place where you work. Place it with the name of the street you live on. Students, put the name of your school there. 
right? You have the authority given by Jesus Christ himself to unlock the kingdom of heaven wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you go. And that might seem scary and formidable, but guess what? You are indestructible. And I don't care how seemingly impossible it might be wherever you are to be able to do this. Let me tell you about where the disciples were when this happened. They were in Caesarea Philippi. You may not know about Caesarea Philippi. It's 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. It used to be called Panius, named after the Greek god Pan. There's archaeologists that have dug up right there a, 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 a temple in honor of Pan, the Greek god. Way before that, centuries, maybe even millennia before that, there was a temple to worship Baal. If you read the Old Testament, you'll hear about Baal worship. But even then, they had a modern god that they worshiped there, not just Baal, not just Pan. They had erected a temple for people to come and worship the emperor of Rome, Caesar himself. In fact, it was Philip the Tetrarch, an official of Rome, who renamed Panius Caesarea Philippi in honor of Caesar and himself. And why not name it that? Because there's this wonderful temple right there where you can go worship Augustus Caesar, whom they believed was divine, whom they believed was the Son of God. Right there in the darkness of that evening in that very city, a very dark pagan city, Peter said, uh-uh, Jesus, you are the son of the living God. You are sitting right now in the most lost county in the state of Kentucky. The statistics don't lie. We've been hearing about them all the time. I find it hard to believe at times. And some of you do too because I've had you all come up to me and say, no, no, seriously, really? Just weeks ago, Independence, Kentucky was listed as the third safest city in the state of Kentucky. If you look at the top 20 list, there were several other northern Kentucky cities listed there. Safe, yes. Lost, yes. It's ironic, isn't it? I'm telling you where you live, where you go to school, not far from the very doors that we entered in this morning to come and worship here, there are people chasing after God and goddesses, little g, and completely lost, finding, trying to find fulfillment in something, trying to find purpose in something, trying to find escape from their pain somehow, some way. And we have the keys to the kingdom of heaven if you trust in Jesus Christ. Friends, if we just stay comfortable in our bubble then the gates of hell are just going to have their way with North Kentucky. We have the one thing that the gates of hell cannot prevail against, and that is the church. It is the people of God. And if you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, the keys are in your hand. It's time to unlock the kingdom of heaven right where you are. We are the indestructible force built by God to rescue the perishing. I had a weird thought looking at videos and photographs of the rescue efforts in Texas. People drive, have driven from the state of Kentucky with, a, I saw a video of this guy, a pastor, he's actually an evangelist, who took his bass boat down there 
God, he got down there early enough where they let him use it because they probably won't let you do that if you go down there now and just wanted to go see who he could help. Bringing food to people, taking people from one place to another in his boat in the streets of Houston. And I thought to myself, how cool that he, that he did that. And I thought, what motivates us to do stuff like that? You know what motivates us to do stuff like that is when we see people standing on a roof waiting for someone to please come help, Right? You're looking at that and saying, oh my goodness, someone please get there. Maybe I should go there. I'm very far away, but maybe I should go. But friends, what we don't always see around us are the people all around us standing on their spiritual roof. They're drowning in lostness. They're drowning in hopelessness. They're drowning in what they think is the right way to live. And it does not produce the joy and the love and the peace and the power in their lives that Jesus would. But you have that. So friends, it might be scary, it might be weird, it might be inconvenient, it might be uncomfortable, you may fear rejection, you may think people, you, you may be afraid people think you're a Jesus freak, but you are the indestructible force and nothing can take you down. So why not charge the gates of hell today and the next day and the next day, going up to the rooftops of those who are drowning and saying, I got good news for you. Jesus is the answer to everything. And I found him, and I want you to have him too. That's what God's building. We created three worship hours instead of just two so that there's room to grow. There's some seats. Man, this is kind of our bigger service right now, but there's seats in here. As I think about what your next step is this morning, I would encourage you, first and foremost, if you've never done it, you pray and ask Jesus to save your soul. You be the rescued one because you can't rescue the drowning if you're drowning yourself. Let him rescue you. Call upon his name and ask him to save you today. Forgive you of your sins and take you into his family. If you ask him, the Bible says he will indeed do it. You just have to ask him. If you've done that already, though, you're already a part of the church. You're a living stone in the indestructible force that is the church. We're going to remodel, yes, there's going to be some new brick and there's going to be some new carpet, there's going to be some new whatever. But way more important than that is that he gets these living stones in this very room placed exactly where he wants them so that you can unlock the kingdom of heaven for someone. Keep coming to church, but bring someone with you so they can hear the gospel. And if they won't come with you, you keep going to them. Walk over to their cubicle, walk over to their front door, walk over to their locker, go walk over to wherever it is, and you start inviting and investing in someone's life because that's how we're building the kingdom of heaven. We need more construction material. We need to put a dent in the lostness. And the gates of hell can't prevail against you, so go. Let's go together. Let's pray.